Hey everybody, welcome to Spoilist. Spoilist is something brand new. I'm Jake. This is Colin. Colin, how you doing? Hello. I'm doing great, man. How are you? I'm doing very well. I'm excited to get this thing started. So we typically run the Game List podcast, which is a raving success. And we found ourselves uh, in a conundrum a couple months ago as we wanted to speak about a certain game that you may know by looking at the title below you. Uh, the yeah. Outer Wilds, and if you're clicking this, you should know that this is a spoiler conversation about The Outer Wilds, and if you've clicked this and you've played The Outer Wilds and you're willing to talk spoilers with us, then you know that this is a game that is uh, much better experienced than it is talked about for the first time. Yeah. So we wanted to be overly cautious, and uh, it led to us developing a spin-off show. So welcome to Spoilist. Yeah. I think it's the right way to handle this. Um, the first thing that I want to get out of the way is that we are not pros when it comes to the lore of Outer Wilds. We're just a couple gamers that really enjoyed what we played. Uh, yep. The idea here well, is not to give you a, uh, all right, no, you got to be positive. We're just starting the show. I loved it. Colin liked it quite a bit. I'll, I'll expand on my, uh, my experience with it as we get into it. But it has, it has only gotten more positive as time's gone on. For sure, for sure. Um, I think, I think the biggest disclaimer is that no, we're not professionals. This isn't going to be completely comprehensive. There's a ton of videos on YouTube that exist that you can watch if you want, you know, the full lore breakdown or the actual critical analysis of the story that they're giving or the gameplay mechanics and how the game was created, uh, things that we use to inform this conversation for sure. But for the most part, the idea here is we just want to be able to speak about this game freely. And for people that listen to our main podcast that have also played the outer wilds to be able to hang out and hear what we thought about it without worrying about those nasty spoilers for those that haven't, uh, it's worth noting that we talked mostly about it on our second episode of the show. And uh, coming away from it, despite really dancing around most of the subjects and what the game is about and whatnot, uh, our big message that we gave was, hey, go play this game for yourself and then come find our little yeah. side podcast. So That has taken us four months? Yeah, well, we went on an adventure. That's actually a good segue to a little bit of table setting of kind of yeah. how we experienced this. So, I mean... We'll, we'll get in deeper to how we discovered the game individually. Spoiler alert, I demanded that Colin play this after I experienced it for the first time. He came through. Pretty much. Yep. Um, I did. But basically what happened was we each played it, we talked quite a bit about it, and then the expansion came out. And the expansion, this also we should also include that this covers spoilers for the expansion as well. We'll be talking about yeah. both the, the outer wilds game. and echoes of the eye. Um, so we both played the base game in its entirety and experienced it ourselves. And then when it came to playing the expansion, I'm a little bit of a, hmm, what's the word? Pussy. Pussy when it comes <laughs> to scary games. And, Does it uh, have Wi-Fi? <laughs> <laughs> and so, what we decided that. to do was, for the expansion, despite playing the game separately the first time around and then talking about it in our own time, we decided to play the expansion together, which was a, a pretty interesting way to go about it. So we'll get into that during probably the back half of the conversation, because I think it's a really unique take, and I don't think... I mean, I'm not sure how uncommon it is. I'm sure there are plenty of people, couples or friends or otherwise, that played the game with one person controlling it and the other one sitting on the couch, but... 
Colin played the game. I sat in for every moment of the stream, essentially, and we kind of put our heads together on solving the puzzle that was Echoes of the Eye and ended up having a, a really, really good time playing it in that way. Uh, it proves to be not only a great solo experience, but a phenomenal shared experience as well. So excited to talk about that. But before we go any further into uh, the expansion, let's bring it all the way back to when you first heard about the Outer Wilds. Now, this game was <laughs> the one that got unfortunately dumped on by another game called the Outer Worlds yep. during that whole saga. And that's honestly the most that I knew about those games for a very long time. I knew more about the Outer Worlds than I did about the Outer Wilds upon release. And I didn't check either of them out because neither of them seemed like they were up my alley. Do you remember uh, that release time frame? Yeah, I uh, I actually played Outer Worlds like release day, I believe. All right, um, fan. I, yeah, I, I, I have the platinum on that game. Welcome to our um, spoiler cast for Outer Worlds. Outer Worlds, <laughs> yeah. Um, it was it was great. I I really loved that game. Um, but I always knew that there was this other game called Outer Wilds. If I'm not careful, I'll get the names mixed up. Don't do that. Um, that a lot of the like content creators that I watched and listened to only spoke good things about it. Uh, but it didn't see a game. It didn't seem like a game that I wanted to get into at that time. Yeah, I get that. Uh, this is something that I think I had seen quick videos of maybe like the launch trailer and things like that. It looked like a cool space game. I remember thinking it kind of had some no man's sky vibes, but I didn't know that much about it. And it wasn't yeah. until the game came to game pass in late 2021, I believe that I actually dug in and gave it a shot. And let me tell you, this game fucking grabbed me. Um, I think my first session was, it was just one of those quick i was playing on game pass for pc i was just looking for something random to play during some sort of break or some downtime and i was just kind of flipping through the things i go oh yeah, yeah, yeah this is supposed to be really good and i think the big selling point for me was annapurna um by that time i had already played i believe like sayonara wild hearts and 12 minutes had just come off some pretty questionable buzz as well and i knew <laughs> that uh <laughs> i knew that that company was carrying some clout with the things that they decided to publish. So that was kind of my foray into things for Outer you know, Wilds. Annapurna is the A24 of the video game world, right? It really is. Yeah, I think that's a really good metaphor for it. Simile? One of those. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> Not English majors. Like, yeah, it, it, it is like. Like that's is right. simile. Right. Yeah. We know. I remember we know that. how to scan. But, um... <laughs> Really, really pleasant experience to jump into and just immediately gripped me. And I think I played through the game. I think my clock on it was like 22 hours to complete the entire thing. And I did it over like three days, four days, maybe. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a lot of full-time gaming because once it once I sunk my teeth into it, it, it dug its claws into me. That's for sure. Um, starting from, I guess, the opening scene. Not even the opening scene, sorry. The title screen which is oh, for yeah. me such a such a vibe i loved it, it. i loved it and i remember uh, call a spade a spade i sometimes smoke a little bit of weed before i play my video games and i'll 
put up the title screen and then I'll go do my thing. And there was something about having my headphones on and having this stuff blaring in my ears with this little guitar track playing and the world spinning. And then I look up to the title screen and I notice that the actual title, Outer Wilds, has started to move. Yeah. 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 One of the it, coolest little touches in the world that I think I probably would have missed if it wasn't for taking my sweet, sweet time listening to that song loop. But mm-hmm. um, what do you think of that title screen? Oh, you know, I noticed the same thing um, because I think I was just sitting there texting somebody, listening to the music. Because the title screen music is just great. Oh, the music yeah, in this entire game is phenomenal. Um, mm-hmm. And I looked up and I was like, did it look like that when I started? And then yeah. I closed the game and started back up and it just ever so slowly drifts. It's like a five minute span, maybe yeah. maybe even longer that it takes it to drift. But it, it was a, it was a really cool touch. I really appreciated it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then hopping in for the first time, loading into that game world, we load into Timber Hearth. That's correct, right? Yes. Yeah. And um, it's the first and I guess pretty much the only time that you hop in there and have, I guess, a little bit of a... What's the word I'm looking for here? Narrow experience? Detour? A guided experience? Oh, yeah, like a linear... like Yeah, linear. That's path. definitely the word I was looking for there. Um, yeah. what do you think about those opening moments? So that was, I, I think if I would have only spent 15 minutes or 20 minutes with this game, I may not have been hooked the way that I was, but something about the time frame that I had set up for myself, having that first like hour to myself to get off the planet for the first time and really figure it all out and how that ship works was super, super important. What was your opening hour like? Um, it was kind of similar because you, you wake up at the campfire and you see this giant elevator that you need to go up, but you don't have mm. a password to it. Uh, so you just follow the path down into the town. And me being the person that I am, I, I thought I would just needed to talk to everyone. Uh, yeah. I thought something might be missable. I didn't know if there were quest lines that would like be going on or what. Dialogue um, options. Yep. Yeah. So I wasn't sure what was happening there. Um, so I spent like uh maybe 30 minutes in the town playing hide and seek with the kids um, yeah. and then uh playing with the like the probe that goes around where you can take pictures as it rotates around the earth or yeah timber hearth um and i think that was probably the moment when i was like oh this is kind of interesting because like i realized how small the planet actually was um, yeah so yeah, that and that kind of brings get, that that's a good way to kind of segue into timber hearths like i guess you'd call it like the canyon the valley there that you're in yeah uh is a very very impressive and tight tutorial that's baked in there yeah. i mean it's not we're not reinventing the wheel here calling it a tutorial the opening minutes of a game in a small cutout section to teach you the basics but the way that those things are layered in and the way that you can fly that model ship and send out the probe and start learning the mechanics of the game before you actually taken taken off is a really nice little slice of the game and although it's perhaps not the most appealing mechanics off of the jump it does a very good job of setting the pace for what you're going to be getting into yeah and it also does like you can fly the little model ship around uh which is the exact controls pretty much that you have for your actual ship for sure um so it does a good job introducing you 
to a few of the mechanics. Uh, you can you see pretty how like surface level the dialogue options are. They're yeah. not super deep, not complex. It's not like uh, RPG or an immersive sim with a bunch of dialogue right, options. Right, right. Um, and then you get to the museum, and I think that was probably the most interesting part for me at the start is just inspecting all the stuff in the museum. Um, mm -hmm. And I didn't realize it at the time, but everything at the museum is like important. Like you come yes. across all of that stuff again at some point in the game, somewhere, somehow. Um, and then to, to walking out of the museum, I, uh, I got the jump scare of the Oh my the God. Statue. I have that written down in my notes here. Oh my gosh. It was it was very interesting because I I saw the statue just turned and looked at me and I'm like, is this a horror game? Like, I, I don't know. think so. But it 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 scared me for a second. And it's then I, I didn't know off. what it did. Yeah, I didn't know what it did. So yeah. I was like, okay, that's cool, I guess. Um and then I worked my way up to the ship. Yeah. Yeah, pretty standard. Um, getting those codes and then getting on that ship for 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 the first time, really really fun. Um, yeah. How was your initial flight? Um, I wasn't very good. It took me a little bit to figure out how to fly it. Um, and then I mean, you have seen me fly. I'm not perfect. I was gonna say I was gonna let you finish your statement, but then I was gonna say like. I was I was lucky enough to my my gameplay was completely private. I didn't stream any of it at all. I talked about it on stream about how much of a good time I was having as far as watching it goes or playing it goes, um, but not actually streaming my experience with it. And Colin did indeed stream some of his experience. And I, I was going to let you finish, but you're very bad at flying that ship. I I think <laughs> the problem is I'm too impatient. Um, yes. And I don't want to slow down, which causes a lot more crash landings and overshoots than, than yeah. I, I could avoid it if I was more patient. Um, yeah. I'm just too yeah, impatient yeah. for it. For sure. But God, I, I mean, I guess we're going, uh, the conversation's about to go off the rails because like the Outer Wilds, we've now gone through the linear part that everyone experiences in the same way. And now we can start doing yeah. whatever the fuck we want. Which is awesome. Yeah. So let's talk about, I guess, like the flight of the ship in general, which to me is one of the coolest things in the game. Because when you start off with that tutorial and flying that thing around, that didn't go that well for me either. And then hopping into the ship for the first time and flying off planet, also very difficult for me. Um, but there is something about the way that you control that ship that makes when it goes well it goes so fucking well and it feels yeah. so incredible to nail a landing or to gracefully dodge something or to navigate you know the the obstacle that's in front of you just in the right way there's something about you know, it that is really so incredible i i've been sitting here thinking about like what is it about that ship that's different from just no man's skies ships we'll say sure um, and, and I really think what it is, is it's got like the six axis controls. Um, mm -hmm. So you've got, you've got your little uh, display there that even shows you how you're yeah. accelerating and slowing down. And I think the thing that really adds to it is the left and right movement. Because like whenever you're playing No Man's Sky, you're kind of always going forward. There's no like stopping and then backing up, right? 
Yes. But like this, the ship in Outer Wilds, you can go backwards, forwards, left, right, and up and down. But normally when you're flying something, it's just kind of straight and then left, right, maybe a little up, bit of up and down. But there's no like granular control like you get with this ship. Yeah. Um, and I, I think, think that adds a lot to it. And I think what it does differently than so many games is that there's this sense of like in so many games where you're flying a ship, it's very much you tilt your control stick forward and that moves your ship forward. And in yeah. this game, more than any game that I've ever played before, you are not controlling your ship. You are controlling the thrusters to your ship. And I think that's partially informed or completely informed by the way that the game is created and the way that the universe works with gravity and all these different things pulling at you and mm -hmm. the way that the atmosphere is created. But something about the, the way that you can thrust in just the right direction and give it these tiny little touches to just finesse it <laughs> the way that you need it to go yeah. is so satisfying and utterly disappointing when you fail. Um, mm -hmm. So it's the, the gift and the curse there for sure. And it's very like momentum based. Mm. It, it does the thing that should be possible in all games where you fly through space of there's no terminal velocity. You just keep speeding up and you just, yeah. if you, if you got your foot on the gas, you're going to keep going until time runs out or you hit something. Yeah. Um, which is really cool because you can start going like so, so, so fast. Crazy. It really is crazy. So, all right. We've oh. been through the valley. We've gone through Timber Hearth and taken off. We have our codes. We've hopped in our ship for better or worse. We're piloting it now. A little better for me, a little worse for Colin. <laughs> and uh, you're, out, you're out on your own. You hop out there into the atmosphere. And uh, where do you go? I went, I think I went to Brittle Hollow first. You I did. think that was one of my biggest issues with the game at the start is I went to Brittle Hollow and it is just massive. Massive and unforgiving. Um, yeah. Brittle Hollow was maybe the second to last planet that I did. Just by chance, I ended up, I think, taking a pretty... Eh, the first place that I went was um, Deep. What is it? Something Deep. Giant's Wa Deep. Giant's Deep. Ju so the water Jupiter. planet, which was a little bit, a little bit overwhelming as a first planet. Um, yeah. But I don't think that there's really a planet <laughs> that's not overwhelming in some way. They all have that little trick to them that you kind of have to figure yeah. out in order to, you know, properly explore it and and master it because it's truly each one is like its own video game level and you have to get better and better at figuring out it's, you know, secrets and corners and nooks and crannies that you need to explore and the things that you need to accomplish there. Um, Giant's Deep, I guess, fairly inoffensive as far as my first foray into it goes. But you and I ended up having some, some pretty different paths and you were starting to get at it before I rudely interrupted you. And I think it's interesting to... I guess just kind of dive into play styles with this game as well, because that was sort of, um, you were a little sour on, like you said at the top of the show, you, the more that you sit with this game, the more that you've played this game, the more that you've come to enjoy it. But after getting mm -hmm. off of that planet, you started to have a pretty hard time. Talk a little bit about that. So I, I went to brittle hollow first and it was a little aggravating. And I, I took a note at one point, um, so I'm just going to read the note. I actually haven't read through this note since I'm, I wrote it. So yeah, that's fair. we'll see how, how my, uh, it's, 
my attitude has changed. Yeah, it's worth noting because I was able to watch your stream. I was very much not backseat driving through it. I let him struggle and do his own thing for yeah. a exorbitant amount of time where most people I feel like wouldn't been able to exhibit that self-control to be like, hey man, yeah. go do something else. You were go very ahead. patient. I yeah. I was I was not doing well. And I, I for you know, I forgot I streamed a little bit of the base game as well. I think I yeah. just hopped on one day and streamed it, but I, I completely forgot about that. Yep. Um, but here, here's my thoughts. This was January 17th. Um, so it's titled outer wilds thoughts. I feel like I keep taking loops, but not making it anywhere. Having an open world is great, but it also prevents any sense of direction. Limitations in games help you have direction. So it gives you, uh, it gives you direction because you're limited uh, okay, that was <laughs> they were quick. Uh, um, so you can only go one way or other, or or you can only go one way or the other. Having this giant solar system is great exploration wise, uh, but I feel such little reward for everything that I do. Uh, there's no pu there's no punctuation here, so I'm trying to interpret. <laughs> Stream of I consciousness. Feel, <laughs> I feel such little reward for everything that I do. I'm not very incentivized to keep doing things. I don't know what I'm doing in this game. I don't know what the end goal is. I'm just playing to win the end. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> was... listen, that speaks to like a way bigger concept of the way that this game unfolds for you. And we'll get back on track with Brittle Hollow and your experience there in a second. But I think it's worth bringing up because it's a, another great natural segue, which you know I love as far as like, this game just becomes more and more interesting the further you get into it because the order in which you discover things doesn't matter. It's just about how much you've discovered and how those pieces start falling into place. So what you're saying is completely warranted in that it's so interesting that you can only experience this game for the first time one time and everyone's experience will be completely different because of the way that things unfold. And I, I wonder when I played through myself, what things that I discovered early on that didn't even really register to me that I pieced yeah. together later on because of other keys that I found and other bits of information that I put together. And I wonder how somebody else's experience differs because it's, it's like you're saying at the very beginning, the things that you uncovered don't make sense. But if that would have been, you know, the 100th piece to the puzzle that you had found, you might've read that same information and been like, Oh my God, he was trying to warn them or, you know, this, that, or the other thing as far as mm -hmm. which piece that is. So it's an interesting thought because you're not wrong. It's the game that definitely increases its value of your discoveries the further you get in, no matter what order you discover them. But talk about your, um, your relentless assault on Brittle Hollow. So what happened with Brittle Hollow is I kept getting... Brittle Hollow is the biggest planet in the game. And it's probably the most like uh confusing with how it's mm -hmm. crumbling as time goes on so yeah. it's hard to find landmarks to orient yourself so i kept going to brittle hollow and just going in circles trying to find a new like trying to find my way to the southern uh observatory i think it was called um because i knew that was my goal I, I was like oh okay we got to go to the southern observatory well how do i get there 
Well, mm-hmm. I could not for the life of me figure out how to get there. It took me like maybe 20 tries. Um, and when I finally got there, it was it was just another dead end. And I was like, come on, man. I desperately yeah. needed a win here. Which I think I kind of let you struggle through. And I think at that point when you were like, well, then what am I supposed to? Like you were f- genuinely frustrated. And yeah. I then the only bit of information that I gave you when I finally broke my silence, the, the thing that you did was that you treated it linearly. Yeah. Is that a word? I couldn't sure. think of it the word now. linear, and now I'm using it in improper ways. Um, you, you got pinpoint focused on a single thing and then made that your single mission. And then what I ended up saying to you after, I, I want to say two hours of you just like taking off from Timber Hearth and flying to yep. Brittle Hollow and just like beating your head against the same thing, flying through the black hole by accident, letting things crumble yep. under you, dying in unfortunate ways... And I finally said, hey, man, you got an entire universe to explore. <laughs> yeah. You literally said, hey, there are other planets. And I'm like, yeah. yeah, but this. And it's like at that point it had gotten personal. And I was like, I have to do yeah. this. Yeah, and I for really sure. Didn't. I could have gone somewhere else. Uh, and I understand that. So for me, I ended up going the route of I, I am a fucking madman because when I when I realized that I could go to all these places and there was no like set way to do things, I started going all over the fucking place. So I landed at Giants Deep and I ended up on the I think probably the biggest area where you have to kinda of go underground and you have the um points of like verticality that you can sort of curve under and over and go under the water. And then yeah. you get to the other point, and there was a lot of confusing stuff happening. It's my first time using those little tablets to portal out to other places. Uh, a lot going on that I just did not understand. So I went there, I died a couple times, fell off some ledges, and I said, all right, let me go figure something else out. And I ended up going to the Twins after that, where I ended up spending a lot of time and really making a decent amount of progress, I think, which is when the game started to kind of rear its head, where I would find some sort of hint on the Ash Twins that informed something that I had discovered on Giants Deep and started messing around. Um, you know, how- and I I think the way you bounce around the planets also, and the way I bash my head against one planet kind of comes down to how we play games a little differently. Because, yeah. like, if you get halfway bored with a game, you're done with it, you know? But mm-hmm. if, I, if I get halfway bored with a game, I'm like, I have to finish it at least you know for sure i'll fall off of something so quickly yeah and like i bash my head against it to try to complete it because i like to complete things um so i i think that kind of like just uh accentuates the differences in our play styles um but yeah you can continue sorry for the interruption uh no 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 not an interruption at all that's how this conversation goes um tell me about your first time going to the bramble how far into the game were you before you decided to take that trip? Uh, I think I, I, I'm, I think I actually went to the Bramble after Brittle Hollow. I don't quite mm-hmm. remember. It kind of blurs together after bashing my head against Brittle Hollow. Um, and then I saw the anglerfish and I said, oh God, I don't know how to get past these things. So then I took your advice and just left until I figured out how to get past them. Yeah. Um, which was much, much later. And I'm, Makes sense. I think, I think after that, I went to the Hourglass Twins. Yeah. Um, so good. 
Yeah, and 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 at the Hourglass Twins, I had the same issue of trying to navigate the Sunless City and find something there that I was missing and just getting like buried every time. And I was like, what am I missing Wait, what here? The fuck Where is do the I sunless go? City? Oh. The Sunless City is underground yeah. on Ember Twin. Yeah, for sure. I know yeah. what you're talking about. That's like um arguably the the I always think of the Sunless City and the interior of Brittle Hollow are sort of like your two big the destinations, I feel like. Right? Like yeah. they're very time gated sort of blocked off areas. They almost feel like a like a Zelda dungeon. You know what I mean? Is maybe the best way to sort of put those together. They they have outside of being part of the planet, they have their own things happening inside them. Yeah. There's different layers to them. There's different rooms to explore. There's um they both have those kind of like funky keys to them where they each kind of have like four areas. And I'm not sure why they both settle on a number of four, but same thing where you have like that school area on Brittle Hollow. Yeah. Uh, you also have that area that lights up those four different doors in the main area of the yep. city, which are yep. super, super fun. And there are places that you kind of continue going back to as well throughout the game. I don't think that they are something, the, the same problem that you ran into on Brittle Hollow, I ran into in that city of like, I want to say that on my first shot, I started to realize, I'm like, okay, so this is kind of time-gated. I need to get here at a yeah. certain time and start working through these layers before the sand gets to this level. I can't get to this room because by the time I got inside this place, that room is already covered in sand. And yeah. Oh, can we just talk about getting crunched by the sand? Oh yeah. How yeah, mortifying yeah. is that sound? That was probably the worst sound in the game. It was just like, juicy and crunchy and i mean i imagine that's what a human getting crushed like that sounds like but probably i uh, hope to never hear it again yeah it was rough. Uh, I, I would like much that. rather fly out of the uh black hole over to white hole station that's yeah, for sure i think so and get crunched in that thing um but there were some puzzles in there that gave me a, a hell of a time i remember particularly uh trying to figure out the angler fish puzzle in there where you see the fossil yeah. and you can shoot your light into it and then not figure, I guess like it took me a long time to put together how to get back there and I remember not realizing I used the scout as the pointer for it so I would shoot the scout into the mouth of that angler fish and then be like, okay, there's another way into this room. Let me figure it out. And I would use that beacon and try to figure my way out because it would give you that little UI hint of like, Hey, your beacon is 181 meters in this direction. And the direction yeah. was what was helpful, but it ended up not being the important part. It ended up in fact being the light of the, the light is what yeah. kind of indicated me to get there. So I think of the four of the four things that I needed to accomplish, that was the one that took me the longest as far as the anglerfish. And that ended up being one of the bigger keys to the puzzle as far as figuring out how to navigate Bramble in there. Yeah. Which and the, really, really the cool. fact that it's just sound. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, you, you've, you've said a couple things that have spurred uh, my memory. Um, mm -hmm. So I, two, two little... Uh, topics that i can bring up and we can decide to pursue one or the other um but 
I, you mentioned the uh, white hole, and it it reminded me that that was when I got hooked on the game. Mm. Is when they got to the revelation that you actually leave a white hole before you enter the black hole. Really cool. That's when I was like, oh wait, this is very interesting, and you know, like I, I'm like a scientific dude i guess i don't know how to say that without sounding up my butt Man of science, um science. but i uh i i that was a revelation that i was like oh wow this is very interesting and then i think that's what kind of hooked me on like maybe this is like more based in like different like uh i don't know almost like astrophysics than i thought it was yeah and and thankfully it, I, it turned out to be true you know they used a lot of like real world you know theoretical science at least um sure. and i found that very interesting and then from the point where i knew that you could leave a white hole before you entered the black hole i started to see what they were piecing together um yeah and then second you you mentioned light and uh like observation and stuff and and like the main theme of this of the base game is observation you know going into quantum mechanics and whatnot is like something's only there if you can observe it and that becomes a huge huge point of the game so fucking cool <laughs> yeah and uh once once i started to understand like what type of quantum mechanics they were getting into with the observation uh the puzzles really started to click for me and i was like oh mm. okay this is more than just running around and dying to planets um, and I think the best parts of the game were, what was it? The trial of quantum physics or what were those trials called? Oh, it's um, the rules. I, it's the rules. The of, rules. Yeah. yeah. And the tower of the tower of quantum knowledge, I think is power what of quantum of. knowledge. Yes. Yeah. Which was the, that was the trial that ends up being on giants deep. If I recall correctly. There was, Where let's see, I'm looking at it now. There's the Tower of Quantum Trials, I think, was on, on Giant Steep. Okay, and that's, um, that's the one, yes, that makes sense, because that's the one that I'm thinking of where you had to kind of solve the tower's puzzles as you descended through it, and it yes. does a lot of walking you through, like, the properties of how to observe uh, quantum things with the probe how you have to take the picture of it and then rotate the picture in or out of frame so that you can navigate it and have things stick or yes. stay in place. Really yep. cool. And then how there long? was the... Continue. Um, there was a quantum knowledge... I, I think it was called the Tower of Quantum Knowledge, which was on uh, Brittle Hollow, which I think that was what taught you that the about the quantum moon. Is that what taught you about the quantum moon? Possibly, I don't remember. Oh, I'm having a hard um, time remembering as well. How long, when you went to the museum the first time, did you acknowledge the rock formation, the quantum rock that it was trying to teach you? Because I definitely didn't. No, I I had to not. have looked at that rock like seven times and never like registered that it was going to different locations because there's, I believe three different pedestals that it can appear on. And as they come in and out of frame, yeah. it'll shift around. And I just, I think what registered in my head every time when I walked in there that first time was 
oh, there's two other things I'm going to have to find to fill out these pedestals. Like, I'm going to need two more rocks. Mm. And yet, the only thing that I could think of was that there was two missing, not that it was, like, the left and right one are missing or the middle and left one are missing. So even though it was changing positions, theoretically, in my head, every time I looked at it, I just said, two missing, and then kind of yeah. moved on. So I never kind of learned that lesson. See, um, I think what happened for me was I think I would go by there and be like, was that rock in a different place last time? And then I would just keep moving. I yeah. wouldn't think anything of it. Yeah. Um, and then something that you were we know. talking about on brittle hollow that I wanted to explore was, um, yeah, it might've been in that tower. I'm not positive where it is. I remember it's the, it's the area that you get to only after navigating the city, if I recall correctly, or that school district area where there's like an experimental area. You can't get in there from the top because the actual like orb to open the door is broken, but you can open it from the other side once you're exiting there. Once you go all the way up, there's that little area where you can do like these like experiments with like the black hole orb, the white hole oh, orb. You're talking about the black hole forge? Black hole is forge, that... I think so. Cuz yeah. you have to uh you have to use one of the teleporters to get there. Yes. Right? That might yeah. be correct. Yep. I think um, that was it. Really cool little segment. And then, I don't know why, I was thinking about it, I've been kind of like, I think what's happening to us right now is that we're taking our own little Outer Wilds journey wherever, whatever direction we'd like to go <laughs> in. And as yeah. I bring something up, Colin brings something up, and it triggers in my head something that I want to talk about. So I'm just kind of like taking notes on our conversation. Just like I did, oh, let me ask you that. Did you have a notepad for Outer Wilds? I did not, and I think that was one of my biggest mistakes. I had I had the coolest fucking notepad. I'm gonna see if I can dig it out by the end of the show. Yeah, I want to see it. <laughs> it's like it it would look like uh it would look like the scribblings of an insane person if somebody if I died tomorrow and someone <laughs> went through my notebook and they found the page of Outer Wilds notes they'd be like oh all right he was a psychopath that's why he's dead. <laughs> that's great. That's um, great. I love that. But one of the things that I think we were talking about the angler fish and how we learned about like the sound and stuff. And it reminded me of um, the, the way that we learned that is through those kids that are playing the game about the angler fish in the dark, about how you have to be quiet. And I guess, I guess it just kind of reminded me of like, this game has such an interestingly, such a weird atmosphere to it. It's mm-hmm. creepy yet jolly. It's super dark and depressing but also extremely like hopeful and uplifting at the same times. What do you make of the themes in the game? Do you, do you pin it in a certain direction? When you think of it now, does it bring you... I mean, the game itself brings me joy from a gameplay perspective, but do you think it tells a sad story? Um, I, you know, I think that... I think if we include the DLC into this conversation... Mm-hmm. I think it it becomes much more dynamic in how when yeah. people see that the end is coming and how they react to that. React to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get to the DLC yeah. for sure. Yeah. So the Nomai, they they realize that like, hey, this uh this thing that we're we're searching for so desperately, um. We we can't find it, but we have to find it somehow. So they they put all of their resources into finding it, um, mm-hmm. because they thought you know that was like their grand mission or whatever. Um, what a mission! But, it was. Yeah, and they they never succeeded. You know, they didn't realize 
So, so what actually, this is side railing us again. What actually wiped out the Nomai was the interloper because mm. the interloper came into the system and spewed ghost matter everywhere. And that Correct. ended up killing the Nomai. Um, or what it was didn't, left of it them. didn't technically spew that ghost matter, did it? Because they got readings of the ghost matter and then them going in and fucking with it is what I, yeah, it was something along those lines. Of, because there was, those, there was the pair of people it. from like that escape vessel that investigated it. Yeah. And one of them was mm -hmm. still floating there and the other one had went down. Yeah, because he went to tell him to go warn the people of yeah. what was going to go on or what was going to yeah. happen. And then, then it happened and they all died except for Solanum, who was on the quantum moon. <laughs> and because... This is going to be a little difficult to explain, but because the quantum moon is only where it's observed, that means it's also where it's not observed. It's everywhere and nowhere. It's everywhere and nowhere. So since Solanum was on the quantum moon, when the quantum moon is at any of the planets that it's orbiting, you can find a dead Solanum. But when you're, whenever you're at the quantum moon, when it's, around the eye you find the live solanum because the version of her at the eye didn't die but all the versions of her elsewhere did die to the ghost man i'm literally just listening to you explain this stuff that i already know and like genuinely smiling and like i just want to blurt out like this is the coolest fucking video game of all it's, time like it's, it's so very cool it's so cool. It's so expertly crafted. There is nothing like it, man. Uh, it's, it's so endlessly entertaining to discuss, and I'm once again thrilled that we've decided to do this because, good God, I, I yeah. can't believe the amount of things that it layers into the story, not to mention the way that the gameplay complements it, but mm -hmm. let's try to get ourselves back on some sort of track. We've talked a lot about the... Ember twin, but not yes. so much the Ash twin. Um, also, really quickly, before we get too back on track, <laughs> you, yes, I do think it's a story of hope, just based on the the final credit scene of founding, you know, the universe dying 40 to billion years new later life, or whatever. Yeah. You know, I, I do think it's a story of hope. Yeah. Yeah. I would say so. Um, but Ash twin. Ash Twin. I mean, I wonder if maybe we should come back to Ash Twin. We, we covered Ember Twin. We covered Brittle Hollow pretty well. Uh, we've talked a little bit about Giant Deep. Uh, maybe this is the right time to go to yeah. Ash Twin. Um, yeah, it is. So yeah. Ash Twin is maybe like the most important planet. Of them Possibly. all? Possibly. Ash Twin has the, the teleporters. It's the gateway to all the places locked off, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Once you start putting together the secrets of the Ash Twin, I feel like you're starting to make your way. I feel like maybe that's the most shared experience that people have in Outer Wilds, no matter how your playthrough goes. By the time you start figuring out what's happening on Ash Twin, you're starting to piece together the puzzle and everyone's starting to be on the same page now. Like, okay, mm -hmm. we're figuring out what to do with this planet that allows us to travel to these other destinations rapidly. And 
if you're taking one particular destination, you're basically blowing the fucking lid off of this mystery, which is it the right time to dig into that special little teleporter? Yeah. I I think think so. so. I mean, it's the coolest shit in the fucking world. What was your experience getting there for the first time once you realized which teleporter to take and where you're headed? Um... What, what's Man, the fucking wish... name of that? What's the name of this place? The Ash Twin Project, or when the in, Hourglass, you t- or the when you when you portal in from the tower on the right under the bridge, and you find the power core for the first time. That's powering. It. Uh, do, 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 do. I think it. I think it's called the Ash Twin Project. Yeah, Ash Twin. Well, Warp Core Ash Twin Project. Yeah, Ash Twin Project. It's okay. the Ash Twin Project. Yeah. What, getting there for the first time was a real holy shit moment because it was uh, it was the destination that was prophesized. It was, for me, so many of the little uh, portal things let you see into that place, but you never know where it is. Yes. The, and it uh, is always so creepy. Pools. And then finding it, it wasn't creepy really at all. It was more mm. just like the coolest science fiction-y place of all of the places so far. And it had such an, oh, God, the layers of just this one little area are just so cool. So you start off and everything is on like a full rotation being powered by that core. And we eventually find out that this core is powering the project that's keeping us in the loop. Yes. So you travel along this path where you have gravity working towards you until you get to the point where you can turn off the gravity, fly to the center, and remove that core. And when you remove that core... We're in the end game now. Um, yep. What what was it like for you the first time you did you die with that core in your hands and roll credits at all? Yes, I I rolled credits. I think every possible way to get the platinum. Nice. Um, so gamer shit. I I I do think so. Just going into the core there, you see. This, this, the masks that you've been seeing previously. Mm. So those masks are, you can think of them as the hard drive that all of your previous memories of past loops have been stored. That's a good on. way to put it. Yeah. Um. So the the statue that jump scares you at the beginning of the game is what sinks you to the hard drive, and every time you die, it takes your memories sends them to the hard drive and then that sends it back in time 22 minutes is that i think yeah. 22 minutes 21 minutes 22 so that's why you have the memories of every past loop once you sync up yeah so then once you get there once you finally get there which the reason you have to teleport in is cuz it's like a super thick completely sealed core of the ash twin that has to be sealed to protect it from a supernova. So you uh, you go through that, right? And once the supernova hits, it's, it powers up everything that sends your memories back in time 22 minutes. That's why the supernova is like the end of the loop. Um, so anyways, uh, I took that, that core, but I think the first time I got the core... I didn't know what to do with it. I'm not sure if I got there before or after I figured out where the vessel was. The vessel's the, the name of the ship, I believe. Um, 
Yeah. So I wasn't sure what to do. And I was like, well, I have this thing. Maybe I can take it to the museum. Um, so I took it to, <laughs> to the museum and I think that was a trophy. And then it like ended my loop and I was like, well, here we go. Um, that's pretty good. But that, yeah, here we go on another tangent. How long did it take you to go back and explore the rest of Timberheart? <laughs> I actually did that, uh, like right at the start, almost, I think right at the I start. I don't know why. I probably did not go back to the rest of Timber Hearth for eight to ten hours of the game. It just like never registered. To, I don't know why. It wasn't my brain did not function in the uh, way that I was like, well, I'm taking off from the valley. Time to go to all these planets. <laughs> I never went back to the planet. I never landed there and tried to do anything else there. I never came back it, to the ground to explore more of those caves or like the geyser or anything like that. Yeah, there was, I was about to say there's like a whole cave system. Oh, there's a bunch of stuff to do on that planet that's not yeah. chilling right there. Wild. Most of it's uh, irrelevant though, honestly. It is for the most part pretty inconsequential, yeah. Especially compared yeah, to what you find on the other planets. You you do I think you find on somewhere hidden on Timber Hearth, I think that's where you find out that the Nomai actually like mined Timber Hearth of its mm. materials um mm -hmm. to make the Ash Twin project. And it also they they saw like little pre evolved lizards crawling around and that's like your ancestors. So cool. That's what you evolved from was what the Nomai were like observing. And they literally said, like, hey, we're not gonna take too much of this uh planet's resources because this uh this species could evolve to become intelligent and need these resources. I don't know why I never ended up <laughs> going through and thoroughly exploring the rest of uh timber hearth but nonetheless i ended up making it happen in due time but we can get back on track and go towards um the actual twin project finding that core dying with it uh i think that it we haven't talked we haven't talked like a single word about the sun exploding <laughs> and yeah the reason that it comes to my mind is in like this reverse chronological order of when you pick up that power core for the first time and the music kicks in and it's like a variation mm. on the time basically running out but now this time is not to be reset so even if you grab it you know 10 minutes into your 22 minute loop that music kicks in adds so much yeah. fucking intensity um and what a haunting and beautiful sound it is uh, we've talked obviously about the music at the very beginning but god does that is that a slapper really really cool you know Every time I hear that too, I'm like, there's no way it's been 22 minutes. Is it seriously yeah. 22 minutes and I just wasted all this time? And, you know, it also makes me think, um, I'm sure like there's a reason it wouldn't work, but the the core of that planet is is like uh, reinforced to survive a supernova. So I wonder what would happen if you're in there when the supernova happens. Hmm. You wouldn't die but the loop would still restart because... Is that not one of the endings? I don't think so. I don't remember that being a you know, thing. That means you got to stream Outer Wilds again. I'm sure somebody... If, if somebody is hardcore enough to be watching our humble little podcast this far into it and is probably a gigantic Outer Wilds fan, then they've done that and they can report back in the comments. Yeah. 
Because I'm thinking, pull out the the little warp core and just sit in the the protected area of the Ash Twins until the sun explodes. I just watched Colin fight through a yawn, and he knows my... <laughs> did you go through your head to not it do it? <laughs> That's one of my rules. If you're just watching this and you don't watch Game List, I forbid uh, yawning at any time. I get it. People get tired and whatnot. But listen, the last thing we want to do is start yawning and then making you at home yawn and then get tired and then tune out of our show. Listen, we're looking for hits over here. My... My problem is I'm just a chronic yawner. Like I'm, I don't even have to be tired to just be sitting here and yawn. I, I don't know what it is, but I, I, I fought it. through it. I did my best. You did a pretty good job, but I figured I'd call you out on it because it's funny to me. I was but hoping I could play it I'm, off as just I'm like proud stretching of my jaw. No, I'm proud. I'm proud of you for for fighting through. I saw yeah. it in your eyes. You said, "Don't do it." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So you grab the power core. And we're headed towards the Bramble. I mean, obviously, everyone's journey is different, and you're maybe doing this for the fucking 15th time after getting eaten by anglerfish, but let's dig into the Bramble a little bit. Let's dig into the mm-hmm. vessel. Um, God, this place sucks. Those anglerfish will scare me for the rest of my life. Terrifying. Terrifying, and, like, even though you're expecting it, gets me every Not time. fun. No. Not fun. No, not at all. It's literally one of the most disturbing things in the world to be cruising and being like, oh, yeah, I did it. They don't notice me. And then all of a sudden, fucking teeth are clamping down on you. It yeah. thoroughly disturbs me. But And, like, their hitbox is a little is awkward as well. Um, yeah. Because I, I know I slide past them sometimes, but their hitbox goes off, and they just track me down and chomp on me. Yeah, for sure. Um, how long did it take you to fully navigate the bramble and get to the vessel um i think i got it on like the third try honestly pretty quick i i got it quicker in my main playthrough than i did on uh there you have to do a playthrough in like one single you you have to do a playthrough <laughs> in like one single life for the platinum and that took me like 20 tries uh but in the main game i think it maybe took me like three tries that's honestly really good it took me fucking what feels like a hundred <laughs> but yeah I don't know, maybe it wasn't that bad i actually did it in like 20 but it certainly felt like a lot felt like a felt like a problem is what it felt it, like it it just sucks too because it's like one tiny single mistake or not even a mistake and it's just over and you have to restart and you have to wait for the ash twin to unbury itself and uh yeah. it's it's probably yeah. one of the weaker parts of the game in my opinion um yeah i guess so it's tough to even like look at this game critically because like in my head it is like a 10 out of 10 perfect video game um the weakest moments is when you know what you need to do and you are gated by time and a lot of that is me shuffling my feet around six minutes of waiting for the tower on ash twin to reveal itself completely so that i can teleport to the project and grab that uh power yeah for sure um bramble vessel stumbling upon the basically mass grave of floating nomai yeah the escape pod because they were like oh we we can make it out but no we can't we need to go back to the vessel 
but there are two signals for the vessel because everything's all messed up in the bramble. So they're like, okay, we got a 50-50 shot, and they chose the wrong one, and they just all died in a huddle. Yeah. Sad story. Uh, dark, man. Game gets dark. But so, so good. Um, Quantum Moon. We should talk about the Quantum Moon. We talked a lot about it already, but with the yeah. revelations on the Quantum Moon and actually getting to the end of it, navigating it, closing the door to the teleporting tower that's on the moon as well and figuring out that puzzle of switching the locations from inside and then illuminating and turning off your flashlight in order to transport the location in the way that the outside of that moon takes the shape or the feel or the theme of whatever planet it's orbiting. Such an incredibly cool touch for something that when we played through the expansion, you mentioned that some people go through the game without ever completing that part of it which seems blasphemous to me yeah you can you can complete the game without going through the quantum moon and if you do that then solanum is not at the end where they all play like their melody yeah wild yeah wild to me um but I, i obviously love that part too um getting to the vessel and then entering launch codes Mm-hmm. really fucking rad super satisfying i had trouble because entering those launch codes a couple times because there's it, this it was a pain i think it's not only is it just kind of a little finicky it's not the like there's a certain looseness to the controls of outer wilds that i think work for it in most situations but when you tack the looseness on to the stress of things that are locked in like a timed loop (laughs) it definitely increases the stress that you have especially when you're holding that power core in your hands and you're making that you know potentially final run towards the end um but god super satisfying to enter those codes and finally uh finally bring it home um you know and that uh that brings up bringing up the codes um you get those codes from uh hollows deep or hollows deep giants yeah. deep uh mm-hmm. under the little like current and then under Where you the have jellyfish. to go down yeah we have to we yes. have to find the um that's the one where you need to find the part that brings you underwater there's one tornado that's yeah going there's in one a different direction going counterclockwise correct and that pushes you under the current and yep. then from there you have to go inside of a jellyfish and it will the take you down you through the, the electrical membrane. current God, it's uh, so good. And then good. you'll find, yeah. But also, uh, it, it, it's worth mentioning, the reason they have those codes is because the little uh, probe launcher that you see going off at the beginning of every loop, that's if you right. notice, it shoots a different direction every time. And that's because it's set up with some sort of variable to just automatically shoot in a different direction every time. <laughs> so what happened was, the very first loop, you wake up. In fact, yes, the very first loop you wake up, when it shoots, that's when it finds the eye. It had been doing that like millions of times, millions of millions of times, and the loop had been resetting without you knowing because, you know, it had been sending the information back to the past because the supernova was happening. (laughs) But once it finds the eye, it then triggers the synchronization to happen which then starts the game and all the loops in the game. Um, so fucking and cool. Then, 
yeah it actually shows if you go to the the probe launcher and you interact with it it will tell you how many probes have been fired and which fire it found the 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 eye on so if you What's have the probe played, launcher you know the thing flying out over top of giants deep it's the big cannon in the oh, air. Oh, it's all destroyed. Split. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, because it blows up whenever it fires it. Um, I don't feel like I never saw go... a counter or anything, though. That's yeah, really cool. if you go inside of it, you'll find a counter, and it will tell you which fire it found the eye on and also which fire it's on currently. So if you hmm. do, like, 100 loops before you get there, you'll see that it's, like, 9,987,002 so versus red. 102. Um, which is really cool. Nothing like it. So many different like overlapping time travel type things. Um, I technically, know. I guess not time travel because it uses the super powered black hole to send stuff in time 22 minutes instead of like a fraction of a second. Because um, so that's wild. what it uses the sun for. The supernova is where they harness the power to send that information back. Yeah. Yep. Ugh. It it hurts my it's head. It's fucking yeah, it is it is mind-boggling for sure. And I guess we're kind of approaching talking about the end of the base game and mm -hmm. the one thing that we haven't really talked about is like any of our homies, any of the Outer Wilds Ventures members, which I guess yeah, we're going to talk about naturally because we're talking about the ending because they all kind of get together and have their own little time to shine obviously. Um uh, yeah. what a cool little squad. Yeah, pleasant people. Which one do you hate? Know. Why do you hate him? Um, you hate the I little hate peanut. The one, I think so because he has a freaking like the most annoying sounding instruments ever. It's just it's, it's a like, drum. A, it sounds terrible. I hate it. <laughs> yeah, it's chert. I think it's chert, right? Yeah, I think so. No, well, he's the one on the Ember Twin. I can't remember, but it just sounds awful. Yeah, I think it is chert. Yeah, it, it I like it's. Him. I hate this. I hate the sound. Um, hate it. You know, interestingly enough, the ending to Outer Wilds isn't my favorite part of the game. It's a yeah. real. It gets real abstract and kind of trippy. Real like two thousand one Space Odyssey vibes, as far yeah. as like doesn't really give you like a. I think it makes sense in the context of the game to not give you a very, like, definitive ending or anything like that. And obviously the outcome is, hey, life ends, life goes on, I guess is the best way to sum it up, all all in all. But um, yeah. still really, really fun to see credits roll in that area that you transport to is quite the fucking trip once you get there. Um, a little scary one, too. Well, there's a well, there's a single one of them when you discover them that has like a legitimate jump scare in it. That was like my fucking last. When I got that jump scare, I was like, okay, that's gotta be it, right? <laughs> that's the that's the last. That's my that's my homecoming here. We're all done, yeah. and you're just gonna send me out with a fucking bang. Um, putting all those instruments together and hearing that rendition of the theme. God, right. that's the ending to me. That's the satisfying part of that. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. And and you can you can see like silhouettes of people in the little fog orb or whatever yeah. up above the the fog campfire, orb. which 
Um, I, I, I guess we can all just kind of agree, like, this is more, like, conceptual. It's not, this isn't, like, actually happening. Right. Right? Because at this point, like, I'm guessing you've been consumed by the eye. Yeah. Um, I, I don't really know... I don't know how to interpret all of this, but I'm guessing you've been consumed by the eye and you're being repurposed into forming the next universe. Um, but it's a, it's a very good rendition of, of music and just like pulling together everything that you've learned from uh, observation mechanics yeah. to... Uh, Puts you through a quick gauntlet at the end. It does, it does. And, and I don't think you good... can really fail it. But it's almost more so. like a um like a fucking trip down memory lane. It's like uh Yeah. Like one of those like ending credits where it just kinda gives you the breakdown of where all the characters went at the end of a movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Died in nineteen sixty nine at the side of his wife of old age, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Really really, really solid though. Um He he went on to coach college football <laughs> and then yeah. got caught up in a scandal. Yep, exactly. Um, Closing thoughts? Outer Wilds? Outer Wilds base game. Outer Wilds base game. There's still more. You don't tune out now, let me tell you. I've got got notes for the upcoming. Yeah, we're getting Um, off. We're getting off of the. This is this is where I guess let's we'll wrap it on Outer Wilds base game here. And we're going to transition to Outer Wilds Echoes of the Eye, which as a reminder has a a nice little twist to it because we have a pretty much shared experience with it as well. So, um, And it's more recent in our memory. True, true. So it'll be a little bit less abstract, probably a little more on the nose as far as um, us being on the same page here. But really fun first part of the conversation. I fucking love that base game, and I love the expansion as well. And I just at this point want to finish this conversation and then not think about it for like 15 years so that I can go do it again. If you could hit your head really hard to replay it, would you? Yeah. Yeah. Really? There's a chance it might happen. I got a bald head and it takes damage pretty easily. So, I mean, I also have a head that takes damage pretty easily. (laughs) This is true. This is true. You've seen that. Um, you know, I, I hear, uh, Return of Oberdin is a pretty good in- investigation game. I don't know, man. <laughs> I've been trying know, to talk Jake into Oberdin playing Return of Oberdin with me. <laughs> he just won't do it. Just won't All right. do it. Let's move on to the Outer Wilds Echoes of the Eye. We talked about it at the start of the show, but for the expansion, for Echoes of the Eye, we had both completed the base game, we had both talked about the game, Privately, not on stream, not on game list or anything like that. Not in a big spoiler-filled discussion, as you'd already heard. But we sort of wanted to make it a thing. This came about during the first episode of Game List, where we talked about, let's, before we record this spoilist episode, let's go through Echoes of the Eye together and experience it, and then we'll have the entire thing to talk about, which leads us to here. So what we did was... Colleen streamed the entire game and I sat in for the whole thing. I took notes here on my side. We put our heads together on it. And just from a gameplay perspective and playing a video game this way, specifically a game like Outer Wilds in this way, what a pleasing experience. What did you think of playing it together? 
Uh, I liked it better than the base game. I enjoyed it more. <laughs> and I, I don't know if that comes from, uh, n- you know, instead of having frustration when I didn't understand things, uh, I had you to fall back on, or if it's because I knew the formula of the game and I knew what to expect and I knew what to look for. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a little bit more predictable. Um, but I, I, I enjoyed the DLC more than the base game. Yeah, I think I think I go in the other direction. I think I enjoyed the base game more than I enjoy the DLC. And that's not a knock on you or a knock on playing it together. But one of the things that came up a lot in our playthrough is what would this game have been like if we had just purchased or played the complete edition off of the jump? Where yeah. if you had all of Outer Wilds and all of Echoes of the Eye loaded into your system and you played it in that way, without doing one before the other. And I think that's a really interesting thing. If anybody that's watching this played it that way, I would love to hear in the comments or otherwise what your experience was as far as experiencing both of those at the same time. Did you progress through the game and then dig into the Echoes of the Eye stuff? Did you stumble upon the Echoes of the Eye stuff and then go down that path and that that affect your playthrough in any way? It's um, all goes back to what we were talking about, about everyone's experience being different, but I think it adds a really interesting layer onto it but let's dig into this let's dig into this thing let me let me turn it over to you for this segment of the show and let me be a little bit more let me be the color commentary here because that's what yeah. i was truly during the uh during the playthrough i equated it on <laughs> stream true. to uh i believe it's called hand and brain chess which is a way of playing chess in teams where one person indicates which piece to move so they have in their head uh, a move that should be made and then the hand can only move that single piece and they have to kind of figure out what the brain was thinking of. And it was just an interesting way to layer things on top of each other. So let's have that transition of power and uh, you be the brain. My dog is destroying things right now. <laughs> um, I don't know if you can hear that through the microphone, but um, uh, yeah. So this section, I, I did a little, uh, different organization of how we're going to tackle this uh than jake not because i think it was bad the way he did it i just think that specifically for the dlc uh i think this works a little bit better actually because the (laughs) everybody meet corvo and meet his cone poor guy the cone makes him so much more destructive than he needs to be but he's got allergies right now um good grief (laughs) we're leaving that in i'm not cutting it (laughs) yeah okay um but no i when thinking about the base game and thinking about the dlc um you know you start off and you have six different places you could go to in the base game different planets whatnot uh in the dlc you have the stranger and that's that's it really yeah um so I I listened to a podcast of No Clip with Danny O'Dwyer. Great podcast, great great group. Um, of that made they make documentaries on YouTube. Uh, they have a great one of ad free the regular Outer Wilds too. Yes, they do. Is, if you're watching this and somehow you haven't seen that No Clip documentary, please, please. Yes, it's totally worth your time. It's like 50 minutes. Um, and it's it's great. Um, yeah, but. Anyways, he set it up in Revelations. Um, in in Revelations that you come across per like uh, playthrough, 
Um, and in the base game, I think it might a little, be a little bit harder to even have those revelations because everything is a little bit spread out, kind of like a shotgun blast and clues just landed everywhere. Yeah. Um, but in the DLC, I think things are very, they're, they're much more um, curated. I think it's, it's much more directed. Mm. Uh, so the, the first revelation that I have is the stranger is invisible yeah the stranger is. is there um so what what we did is we ended up uh starting and we went to the museum exhibit right and then that pointed us towards the little the new uh radar or whatever um mm -hmm. so then we started to investigate from there and then you were smart enough to take notes with the numbers that we found in different areas with different pictures and stuff and as we nav notepad. navigated do I? The Outer Wilds notepad. Yeah, yeah. I wish I had that note. Did you ever dig that notepad out? No, I will continue monologuing. Yeah. Um, so as we continued out to the radar that took the picture that had something covering the sun, uh, we realized that the radar had like a dial on it that was showing its angle. Um, so we ended up waiting until the number that Jake had written down which was the angle where I took a picture where the stranger was in front of the sun. Well, the stranger, you can't see it if you're looking at it from any direction other than if it's between you and the sun um, because it has a cloaking device. So it, it blends in, except for some reason it just doesn't blend into the sun. Um, my guess is it doesn't have the power to replicate like the the power like the the brightness of the sun or something yeah. along those lines. I'm sure there's probably a reason in game as to why, but that's just a guess. So the stranger is invisible. What did you think of that, Jake? I didn't think that much of it. I I think I think the way that you uncover the stranger going back to what we were talking about I think there's a good chance that if you got the entire Outer Wilds game, that you could possibly play through the base game, finish it, and then turn it off and never touch Echoes of the Eye and never know that you missed it, which I think is maybe the most Im impactful part of that, which I don't know if that's for better or worse. You know, I agree. I, I, I think it could go that way or it could go the way of you find the stranger and you get so like tied up into it thinking it's important for the main story and then turns out it's just not and it just spoils the entire main story. Yeah, a little um, bit. But I, I, I totally agree with that. And I think narratively, I think it's better because the stranger was there the whole time. And even in the base game when it's technically not there. Yeah. It was there canonically, right? Yeah. Because it is cloaked. Checks it, out. It's been there since before the Nomai were there. Um, so the Stranger is this giant space station that has a cloaking device that has been there for eons, millennia, a very, very long time. Um, so as you lock on to the Stranger, you, you're just driving into darkness, and then you kind of cut through the, uh, the cloaking device, and you see this giant, like, spherical, uh, cylindrical station that you go to land on. Um, and I will say, the first time that I went to land on it, 
I was a little scared. Like it looked menacing whenever we cut through that that uh like uh warp like the the, the invisibility field. I can't think of the word right now. Yeah. Um it does it was a little menacing because it's like very mechanical. It's very metal. Um and you actually don't see a lot of just very metal stuff in the outer wilds. Yeah. Um a lot of natural so, formations. Yeah, a lot of natural formations and like a lot of like just wood everywhere. Um so we get to the stranger, we land, and then I think the very first lesson that we learn is light, light and darkness, right? The key in the key in the base game is observation and not observing, right? And you can toggle between those and solve puzzles that way. The key in Echoes of the Eye is light and dark and solving your puzzles using light or dark, right? So we go to open a door, and if you shine your flashlight on it, it kind of spins the key in a circle, right? And then whenever you turn your flashlight off, it stops. So you have to lock it in in the correct place. Um, and I, I think the themes of light and dark really play into the echoes of the eye. Yeah. So, um, continuing from there, we land on a raft, correct? We got on that raft, and I was very confused how to drive the raft. You don't land in the. You don't land on the raft. You kind of come up, and then the raft is in front of you for the first time. But the world is revealed to you, or that the inside of that ship i guess that whole thing is a ship even though it kind of feels like another planet yeah. that you walk into but the, the first thing that jumps out to me if you want to talk about light and dark is you you activate that lift and that lift is very i guess alien very like mechanical and then when you hop in for a game that i guess whether it's marketing or reception or otherwise i guess going into outer wilds echoes of the eye i had in my head dark scary and then yeah. walking out for the first time and seeing this fairly light area with all yeah. sorts of like nature and water flowing and things, I was kind of blown away. I was like, oh my God, this is actually fucking jolly. I really, yeah. really liked the actual atmosphere that we were rolling through the entire time. Mm -hmm. uh, not to mention if we do skip, I mean, ever so briefly ahead to hopping onto that raft, the music that plays... I was just about to say the music while you're rafting around like a little banjo. It's mm. so good. A little shanty. It's really good. Yeah. So we hop in and it's bright, which I was also taken aback by that. Um, I yeah. thought we would walk in and just be like pitch black. Right. Because on like the key art for the game, it's pitch black and you're like carrying a little torch and you're on a raft. And I was like, okay, raft, water, it's light and where's my torch um so we came to like the first area and we realized there were houses correct and we were like holy crap these ch these chairs are giant these people are big um yeah. like the nomai were like our size but like these like inhabitants which we'll call them they were big and they had family portraits that were scary those yeah, family portraits were terrifying looking creatures. For some reason, they do seem super daunting in that world. Yeah. And I, I, I think it kind of plays into the thing of like anything taller than you is just automatically scary or like yeah. menacing. Um, 
So we go on from that, and uh, you you get into like the Halo ring kind of. It, it's a miniature Halo ring. You yes. just it has water flowing from one side to the other, and you just traverse around, and that's that's pretty much the gist of the area. Um, but you know, without digging too deep into every single building that we walked through, um, we found out that the stranger had inhabitants, right? Like there were people yeah. living on the stranger at one point in time. And I think that's very important because that opens up the question of, well, where did they go or where are they? What happened to them? You know, why are they just gone? Um, and you don't really realize it consciously, but when you think about it, you don't see any bodies anywhere. You don't mm. see any dead things. You don't see any like, signs of a struggle really it's just empty and uh the emptiness is kind of offsetting um off-putting so then we get to the part i i we spent what did we spend three hours trying to figure out what was going on in the light area i mean we we searched that place pretty in depth we yeah i mean if it's cool with you one of the Go things that I want to talk about that we kind of discovered right off the jump was probably the biggest difference in storytelling between mm -hmm. the base game and the expansion. And that's the majority of story that is revealed to you via the Nomai text is revealed via the scrolls that you find and the words that are written and then translated on your little screen. Whereas in Echoes of the Eye, things that are revealed to you are revealed to you by slides that are little reels that you pick up and you project your light through and PowerPoint. it is a little powerpoint a little slide yeah. um and i fucking loved those things that was honestly yeah. kind of the coolest part of the stream i think was every time we found one of those slides after finding the first little group they usually come in batches of either like two or three and yeah. after our first batch we got so excited to find these little reels every time. If we're calling a spade a spade in the base game, sometimes you'd find a scroll and it would just have like a block of text that was like gibberish that made no sense to you because you weren't sure what piece of the puzzle it was filling in or who they were talking yep. to or what this character's name is. Like, who's Gato? And um, yeah. I think when you every time you found a reel in the expansion, there was this sense of excitement and we got so into narrating the story and trying to figure out what these reels were telling us. Like, oh, he finds the water, he points at the sign, and then they follow mm -hmm. him. Like, a really, really cool way of getting your story across instead of using words. They did the old show don't tell, which I think is a huge storytelling improvement and something really, yes. really cool. Between that and the mechanic of the lantern itself, I think those are the two coolest things that were implemented in this expansion that they did differently. And, you know, they did a really good job of, I, I don't know. I think it would be harder to get across like a horror, um, vibe in words than it yeah. is to just have like creepy pictures occasionally. Yeah. Or a reel that is burnt. What am I there not supposed to see? A couple of those, like uh, intrinsically the burnt parts of the reel were always terrifying. But also there were a couple musical cues where you'd get to a yep. point in the reel where it would change and you'd see something that was like, none of them are like graphically disturbing or anything like that, but yeah. you might see like an unsettling image or like 
all of a sudden like this guy that was like further back is now like right in your face and the music would kind of turn and get eerie as well and it was like oh fuck yeah a little, a little fucked up um yeah. but let's let's go ahead and skip ahead so we spent a lot of time exploring that area and finding some secrets and sort of getting the lay of the land making a lot of laps having a lot of stupid deaths and um none of them were one, my fault by the way a lot were his fault none of the stupid deaths were <laughs> and then um we really i think i think started piecing things together yeah around that three hour mark because that's at the end of the first stream we figured out how to get to the old dark world right yep yep and that's and arguably we where the game begins but i think we did credit to us a very good job of pretty much exhausting the mysteries of the overworld that we had accessible to us by the time we got into that dark world mm -hmm. we we had to i think we had uncovered 90 percent of the stuff in the overworld by the time we got to the and the, the stuff Matrix. that we hadn't uncovered or was inaccessible or was a question mark to us for the most part ended up having an answer delivered to us in the dark world of how to yes. access. Yes. Um, and, and that's kind of when we're speaking of the dark world, I mean, that's their matrix, right? Um, <laughs> Spoiler alert. God, this shit goes matrix. so off the rails. It's so, wild. it does. Wait, do I it, actually uh, like the expansion more than the base game? Now the same thing's I happening. Do. You're saying things and I'm remembering them and I'm going, oh shit, this shit is right. I think, I think it's just um, the way I approached the expansion. Like I knew kind of what to expect and how to put together their puzzles, you know? Right. Um, sure. But so, so the Matrix, um, we spoke in the, it's when we were talking about the base game about like hope and whatnot and how these uh, different races dealt with the end of their race i guess um so the nomai they tried to find a way to like solve it right they were they yep. were trying to reach the the eye of the universe um because they thought it called out to them and the inhabitants they they were there long before the nomai so the eye of the universe was casting a signal right it was just sending a signal out into space and these guys these little deer owl people uh they they heard the call so deer owl people yeah. yeah yeah so they decided to strip their home world of their resources and build a station to go to the eye and as they got to the eye uh they had completely stripped their home world of resources there was nothing left nothing there i mean the, it was just barren and the, this was all through little slides that we figured this out um when they got there they happened to see that the eye of the universe wasn't like some prophecy or some promise of something better but it was in fact an omen to the end of the world the end of the universe would you agree with that jake yeah unfortunately so yeah so when they saw what was going on, they saw that like the world was ending and the eye was the cause. Um, they Panic. decided they yeah they panicked. They 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 tore down their shrines to the eye, and they tried to find a way out of it. And their Most. solution, 
Most, most of them did. Oh, most, yes. Um, their solution was the Matrix, literally. I mean, you know, there's no Keanu Reeves, but they built a computer system to upload their consciousness into. Um, so it was a it was a it was a very interesting comparison and we should also note uh really quickly they also built a we'll call it a lobster because that's what it looked like in we the called game. it the lobster a lot it was a laser lobster it was a lobster that like shot lasers out of it but pretty much what it did is it created a field around the eye that prevented it from sending its signal out um so if you remember in the base game the nomai got the the signal for the eye for a very short amount of time they didn't have like a constant signal beam to them it was just it was just like there and then it was gone right um and that's actually what that was is the eye signal was being suppressed for so long by the inhabitants there was one person who turned off the lobster and let the signal out they the, the other the prisoner yes that was the prisoner so the prisoner uh, became the prisoner because they realized that they that he let the signal out. Yeah. And then they locked him up in like purgatory, pretty much, and closed the signal back up. So that's why the Nomai found the signal and then lost it soon after. They thought Makes it sense. was calling out to them, but it was. You think just that's a, a maybe they disclosed this in the podcast? But do you think that's a retcon or was that always the idea? That was they they. It wasn't a retcon. They actually changed that before they put out the base game because they knew they wanted that in the DLC. So cool. Yeah, they did it. They did it the right way. Is they planned out their DLC before they yeah. put out the base game, so they didn't have to retcon anything. Um, but they had like the the rough sketch out for their DLC before they even put out the base game, and they changed some dialogue to make it all fit. Yeah. Um, Rad. So, yeah. So in the Matrix, there are like we'll call them sub revelations okay (laughs) jake do you remember what the three things that we learned in the matrix were the three big things the ones that when it happened we said oh do you mean like the three three like things that we had to take in the three steps that we had to take to sort of progress as far as like one of them was like jumping off in between the worlds in between yeah, the sections. And, and you know, actually I realized now that I've asked you this, I think there might be a better way to approach this. Um I I'll I'll preamble it with we found a sarcophagus looking thing yeah, that yeah, had yeah. three locks on it. And we were trying to figure out how to unlock those locks. Um yeah. it was pretty straightforward as far as like again, more with the show don't tell. It was there was this very like Hey, here's a locked thing with three very explicit locks. You're going to have to do three things to figure it yeah. out. But then to subvert those expectations yes. and have them not be as straightforward as like fo- solve these three mysteries. I think in our head for the vast majority of that playthrough, our idea was we need to solve the combination to these three locks, which God, yes. was that not the case? Not um, at all. Can I take your quiz though? I want to try to remember my three things. Yeah, take, what are the three things? So the first one was jump and ship in between the portals to the little areas. Not portals, but the dark tunnels. The load and the yeah. second one was to die in the fire. 
instead of sleeping by the fire. Because mm-hmm. the you sli- you sleep by the fire in order to transport to that matrix world. But to have the revelation via the scroll that we discovered, we needed to not scroll. We needed to die in that room instead of So why exactly did we want to die instead of just go to sleep? I think I'm failing the test, man. No, I mean you're right. I'm just I'm I'm asking even more in depth. This is what mm. they do in my pharmacy stuff is like, I'll answer <laughs> the question right. And then they'll be like, but why? But yeah, why? Yeah, yeah. But why? Go ahead. Tell, tell. So, um, so you wanted to die by the fire so you couldn't be woken up um, because there are these like sensors that if you were noticed by the sensor, it would ring a bell and wake mm-hmm. you up in the real world. But if you're dead in the real world, the sensors can't wake you up. So that's why you want to die so you can get past those sensors without them waking you up. That's that's what it was. Yes, I do remember the whole staying out of the light and how absolutely terrifying it was to yeah, no joke. walk through those and have them go off and then not immediately murder you. Mm-hmm. And then so the, third the third one... one. I got nothing. It was putting down your torch and walking away from it. That's right, getting out of that radius. And that's when it really like went full sci-fi for us. Yeah. God, that was cool. I think that might be like one of my only slights against it is that by the time we got to the point of the secret of like that radius thing, it feels like the most underutilized of those three mechanics that we discovered. You really only you know- do that like twice. It, there's actually more uses for it if we go back to the other places and do that. No shit. Um, yeah, you can you can get a lot you can glean a lot more information from each area if you do that. But we found that one last, so we never really yeah. went back to do that. Um, it's also worth noting in the developer interview, they said that that was the one that was most commonly found by just playtesters. Is they thought, oh, okay. Uh, oh, we actually haven't even said. When you're in the dark world in the Matrix, the people that were the the inhabitants that were uploaded into the Matrix are still there, and they don't want you there, so they're gonna hunt you down and get you out. Yeah, that um, was fucking terrifying. Yeah, so people thought that hey, if they see me, I should just leave my light behind, and then they won't be able to see me. So people would drop their light behind to try to avoid the uh, the inhabitants. And then they would just walk in straight into like the framework of the matrix. <laughs> That's interesting. So, that didn't cross my mind at all. Yeah. So it, can it's, we, it's very. Hmm. Can we take a trip back and just talk about entering that dark world, I guess, for the first time and like, yeah, just from like a gameplay perspective, everything that my was wonderful solution on how to get in there. Yeah. That should have totally worked, but it didn't. Yeah, for sure. The, the issues that we ran into, in that area and the problem solving that we did, I think our biggest hang up the entire time was trying to figure out how to navigate some of the puzzles in that dark world. And the dark world itself, I think, has some interesting mechanics to it. Obviously, you're being hunted the entire time, but will you talk a little bit about how the lantern works? Because uh, to be honest, I never controlled the game myself, and I think a little bit of that was missing on me. I did understand Mm -hmm. the stress that you would go through as far as like concealing the light or channeling the light. Um, yeah. 
speak a little bit about that and I think how it added to the stress of those areas. Yeah, so thankfully the lantern was pretty simple. You could, like, I think press L1 to conceal it. You would hide the light and then would, everything would just go pitch black. Or you could press L2 to shine it in, like, a beam and you could focus on things. Um, or you could just not touch anything and it would be just a tiny little radius of light around you. It's a very dark area whenever you get into the Matrix. Um and it, it's very stressful because if you shine your light ahead and you accidentally shine it on one of the guys that's hunting you, they'll see you. You know, you shine your light that's on them, they're coming for you. Probably the most terrifying part of the game is you don't you need to look ahead, obviously, but there's yeah. this constant risk of every time you fucking channel that light to look ahead, you might see something you don't want to see. And even second hand yep. with like a second delay watching it through Discord scared the shit out of me multiple times just you look yeah. ahead to the destination you want to go and there's a terrifying man staring at you very off-putting yeah and and it's it's like a balance between like i could just not shine this light forward but then i'm gonna like be right in his face whenever i actually see him yeah um so then there was some like uh balancing between not shining your light at all and just kind of like feeling your way through the darkness um not some of the enemies actually held lanterns themselves. Not all of them did. So some of the enemies, I just couldn't see at all unless I shined yeah. my light on them. Um, and it was very nerve-wracking because they're faster than you. So you have to be very, very smart about what you do. Um, and uh, I, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very nerve-wracking thing. Like, I play a lot of horror games. Um, and it's still, it got me on edge. Like, it made me very, very anxious. I think yeah. my thing with horror games, especially, is when I can't fight back, I'm super anxious. Because I'm just, you know, I'm just there ready to be picked off, you know? Yeah, and it, it strips a lot away from you as well in that version of the world. You'd never have your jetpack the entire time that you're there. Yep. Which yep. is something that you really do rely on, and it's something that you would instinctively, I mean, it makes sense they take it away from you because I would just zoom right out of yeah. there if given the opportunity. Um, but losing that and losing a lot of that mobility really puts you in a pretty stripped down position, a position that you truly don't really experience outside of like Timber Hearth um, getting mm -hmm. on the ship, or if you're calling a bunch of times when you hop out of the ship without your jetpack and then die immediately. Only a couple times, but it did happen. I do <laughs> More often than the normal player, I would say. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, I had to give somebody something to laugh at, you know. That's what it was. That's um, what it was. Uh, it I, I don't be... know why we haven't talked about this. We probably should have plugged this higher yep. up in the show. But if you're at all interested to see it, I mean, at least for a little while, they're still up on your channel. You streamed this all on Twitter on Twitter, on twitch.tv slash Colleen, K-A-U-L-I-N-E underscore. And I'm on yes. there doing commentary for the whole thing. It's in three separate parts. It's about eight hours long or so. Um, yeah, something like that. And it's just a very pleasant watch through. I think it's a good watch. It was some of my favorite streams so far that I've done. Yeah. Um, For sure. But um, yeah, definitely check me out. I'd appreciate it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what'd you like the little... I, I don't know. Don't you fucking raise um, your eyebrow like that on this show ever again. Um, yes, 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 sir. I'm sorry. Um, God, no yawning, no eyebrow raising. We got two rules and they're growing. 
I don't know what to do now. Uh, God, what was I getting at? Oh, it should be noted that the developers also confirmed um, there is a day-night cycle in the in the Matrix, but because you're only on a 22-minute loop, you're just there during the 22 minutes that it happens to be night. Uh, makes sense. So they don't just live in the dark because if you'll notice in their in the ring, you know, in the stranger, there's an artificial sun and it's yeah. daytime in the ring when you're there. So it's uh, it's only dark in the simulation because you're just there during the nighttime during the simulation. Yeah. Um, another couple of things before we move on towards kind of like we've actually covered this pretty quickly, which I'm. It makes sense because it's it's shorter than the base game yeah, for and sure. much less intense. But um, the dam in the real world breaks, causing you to have to complete some areas in the Matrix faster yeah. than others um, because there are three entry points. Well, technically four entry points to the Matrix, and two of them can go underwater within the cycle. And then once they're underwater, your little lantern goes out, uh, and that brings you back. So, and then uh, the dam actually breaks because the stranger is programmed to move away from the sun as it supernovas. So, once the, the stranger realizes that the sun's about to supernova, it kicks on its engines and starts to take off. Uh, and then that causes stress on the dam, which causes it to break, and then everything yep. floods. That makes sense. Um, what else? There's there's a couple different there's a couple different just fun facts like that. That's alright. The the uh, the reason. Well, I, I don't know how to word that. What what do you got before we kind of figure I guess out? The three things in the matrix that we put together were all informed by those last three real houses, I think that was kind of the coolest thing that maybe we've skipped over that I really enjoyed was the way that there's kind of like, I would say that this game, this expansion is broken up into like four segments and it's your initial descent or not even descent. It's your initial exploration through the first layer when you hop in there and it's daytime and you're in the regular world. And then you have your second layer, which is your, first exploration through the night basically figuring out these three areas where you need to navigate in like the dark world or whatever the matrix world then when you're in that matrix world you find your keys to finding out more in the light world doing that final piece of exploration in the light world and that's all via like three additional real houses that have kind of been hidden in plain sight so yeah after we're spending our time in the night in order to have the three revelations that we've been talking about the entire time, we need to go back up to the surface world and explore these extra real houses where we got kind of our, not our final reveals, but like our big reveals that allowed us to start piecing these pieces of the puzzle together. That's how we came to those three conclusions that we spoke about. And I really, really enjoyed that part of the game. Um, it felt like... Yeah that was like the precipice by the time we ended our second stream we had kind of figured those three things out and it was like all right we've got our pieces to the puzzle let's start putting these things together and that's mm -hmm. kind of like the fourth and final part of the game which is heading back down so it's like we're, we're above 
we go below, we go back above, find our final pieces of the puzzle, then we bring everything that we've learned back below to implement the three of them into the matrix to unlock those three keys, each in their own yeah. different ways. So then once we unlock those keys, which is pretty much where we're at now, it's mm -hmm. endgame time. Yeah, so we we originally set out looking for combinations to cross three bridges to unlock the locks. Yep. But what it ended up being is all of those combinations were burnt. So the three solutions that we had each solved one of the three locks. So starting from jump jumping off at a load screen, like between areas, that actually just lands you behind on the backside of one of the bridges. Yep. So you can then unlock one lock from the backside, take a raft back over to the right side. The second... When you die... Yep. Yeah, so when you die to prevent yourself from waking, there was just one of those sensors dead center on the second bridge. So if once you're dead, it can no longer wake you up. So you can just walk straight across, yep. unlock it, and then walk back. And then the third one, you drop your torch away from it, and it actually shows like framework of these invisible raising and lowering platforms that yeah. then you can kind of just toggle the switch until they all are level and then you can just walk right across and unlock the third lock. So instead of getting the three different codes that we thought we were going to get so the entire cool. time, we had three back doors, we, I would say, to all of the solutions, which really, like you said earlier, it really helps subvert your expectations, which is very, very nice. So and then we unlock that fucker. Yes, yes. Which was which terrifying in its own right. I thought something was going to murder us. I had Jake's favorite jump scare of the entire game. Right? The hand. The hand. You walk up and it's like empty. The worst, dude. dude. What is going the worst. on? Which should be, it should be noted, we're in the simulation at this point. We're in the Matrix. Mm -hmm. So you unlock the sarcophagus within the Matrix and you walk down and there's this giant elevator and it just looks like a, just a tiny room with like nothing. And a hand reaches out of the darkness and like nearly grabs you. And then one of the big uh, owl deer people steps out, the inhabitants. The, pr and it's the prisoner. He, it's him, right? Yeah, it's the prisoner. Yeah. So he, he informs you through his little, I don't know, like, I guess telepathy device. Translation device. I guess it kind of reminded me of like the thing that, um, What's the King Nomai? <laughs> That's not a good way to describe him. King Nomai. Uh, you have your translator in the original game. Solanum? used to read all the text, yes. And Solanum had his staff that he would communicate with you with. And it was kind yeah. of like the equivalent of that. And I think for the entire game, there was a bunch of text in their language that we couldn't identify. And we uh, thought yes. from the get-go that we would eventually be able to obtain this guy's staff so that we could read all of this stuff that never ended up being the case but he did use it to communicate with us in this last scene yeah and we also used it to communicate with him so he told us his story which we played through with like a slideshow kind of mm -hmm. um which pretty much told us like okay this is what happened we found the eye we used all of our resources to come here we built a temple for the eye we got here we realized that the eye was going to be the end of us so made then a huge we, mistake. Yeah, they made a huge mistake. They locked it up. They all turned super bitter and angry, and they were trying to find any way to preserve themselves, which turned into the Matrix. 
yeah. the prisoner specifically decided, hey, this isn't right. Like we should just accept our end and and foster a new future for the the future of the universe. Um, so he unlocked the signal that was sent out, and that's what the Nomai found. Yeah. So after that, he was then locked up in this, um, in the the Matrix Purgatory for countless, countless, countless years, right? So then he gives us his staff, and we tell him our story about how we evolved from these little lizards, and then how we made a space travel whatever the outer wilds venture yeah for sure um and how we explored the universe and found the quantum moon and whatnot and how you know like we kind of know like we're going for the eye um and then he just walks up and walks out and then after you follow him you see footprints leading into the water which the thing about God, the dlc is kind of ditches the us, water man. you yeah, yeah he does the water is like it will wake you up or if you're dead, it will just kill you because there's no way to wake you up. So since the prisoner's real body is dead, it was just his, uh, his consciousness left in the matrix. He, uh, he decided it was his time to end and he, he was released. In. Yeah. He was released from his prison. Um, until he walked into the water and ended himself. you run credits on the game again. Yes. You run credits again. You get to meet him again. Yeah. And he plays this wonderful, terrifying, <laughs> yeah, like, violin. Haunting. Oh, God. Gets layered in. Yeah. Um, really fucking cool. I, I mean, it is non-essential. Yeah, very much so. But it's also a wonderful layer. I think it's like a master class and how to have dlc in your game it's the cherry on top yeah yep for sure because it it didn't contradict anything from the main game it brought in worthy new mechanics and like it it made me care more about the universe that was yeah. ending. Um, Too true. and i think that was what it did what it wanted to do yeah. um and it's also worth noting that at the end you get kind of like a, I don't know, like a JPEG picture of the next universe. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you help Solanum, you'll see like a little like, uh, I don't know, like insect type being. Yeah, there's and little like you... touches. It's always kind of the same image at the end of the game. And then depending on what you accomplished and how you accomplished it and who you helped and yeah. who you talked to there'll be different layers added onto that image that kind of indicate the future that's built via the decisions yeah. you made in the game, which they're all nice, but again, still just like the ending of the base game, all pretty abstract and inconsequential mm -hmm. in the long run. Yeah. But, and pretty much what happens, what changes with this one is there's just another being like physical, like sentient being in yeah. the picture. Yeah. Um, so it, I, I, I definitely think, I think I liked Echoes of the Eye better just because it, it, it made me care more about the universe and yeah, it was more I directed. Think, I think I'm just a sucker for like Echoes of the Eye can't stand alone. You know what I mean? No, it, it can't, can't. It can't exist without the base game and the base game is what really sold me. But I think Echoes of the Eye shows growth from like a development standpoint. And I think that's why I appreciate this game so much is that it is in the long run, not about the story that it tells or not about the 
larger questions that it poses about life and evolution and the whole nine yards but it's more about like how that stuff intersects with gameplay and problem solving yeah the mysteries that you uncover as you go and it's just such a incredible little combination of things informing other things to create this package that could only be experienced via a video game and one of my favorite things if you listen to Gameless proper, you've heard me talk about games that I like ever. Um, you know that I'm always looking for something that reinvents what a game can be in my eyes. I think like in the last two or three years, the two games that do that the best are Before Your Eyes and Outer Wilds. And I just can't speak its praises enough to if you ever want <laughs> if you ever want to argue video games or art show me a movie or a tv show or a book that could do what this game has accomplished and I, yeah i know for a fact you won't be able to it really is fucking magnificent hey man what about inception that inception. made me think real hard <laughs> i've actually never seen inception oh you're a fool um that just reminds me though of the um interstellar did you see that clip that i sent you of like on youtube there's a little like the docking scene of interstellar where yes in the ship and it uses the music from when the sun's exploding and it's just such a perfect fucking fit of outer wilds and inception that's how that's how i felt trying to land on the sun station (laughs) like like trying to trying to match the velocity and like land on the sun station was so difficult but it felt so i can't pull it off we didn't speak about the sun station at all pre-rad yeah it was a failure turns out yeah in the yeah, game in the game world at least it was a, <laughs> the sun station was there to to like kickstart a supernova so they yeah. could like run these tests on their own without having to wait for the end of the universe listen i think we had a hell of a conversation about the outer wilds this is everything i wanted it to be you know i i agree i do have a couple fun facts at the end though fun facts hit me fun facts so um one you cannot light a marsh. You cannot light your lantern with a fire, fiery marshmallow. That was that our genius idea. <laughs> our, we, hey, that was my genius idea. All right, I'll give kidding. you credit. <laughs> <on that. laughs> it was a, it was a fantastic idea. We were trying to figure out how to ignite the lantern for the first time. Colin's idea was to take out his stick and light the marshmallow, and then poke the marshmallow into the lantern, which should work i don't know how mobius didn't think of this they really should have been on it but colin available for hire consulting on the next game that'd be great um a couple others when the sun supernovas if you're if you're if you have a marshmallow whipped out it'll just combust oh interesting yeah um there is one ending where you can actually meet yourself um because you know all the funky stuff that goes on with like white holes and black holes leaving or before you actually go um you can actually oh i've read about this like you can create a paradox right you can create a paradox and then go meet yourself and talk to yourself um it's it's insane there there, there's so much you know what i would say um i met myself uh so you're handsome (laughs) Oh, <laughs> I I had no idea. I was, yeah, sure. I think that works. But is that is that really like? 
truthful at that point or are you just trying to like build yourself up a little bit of both column a column b that's fair that's fair <laughs> um i mean hey whatever whatever you want uh there's a bunch of this this game was a fig campaign back in the day like a thing before kickstarter uh so there are different shout outs to different fig supporters all in the game uh like there's they're on like a satellite flying around the solar system they're in like the graves on uh timber hearth interesting uh all sorts of stuff like that there is actually a legend of zelda easter egg in echoes of the eye um it's like a i think it was a korok seed uh that was hidden in like a corner nice uh yeah um and there's a bunch they have a bunch of cool hidden things in this game and it's it's really cool that you can hide all sorts of stuff in this game because even though it's not the biggest game ever it's uh i don't know there's just so much to it it's obviously expensive it's it's a a fucking universe it's a solar system but all right I mean, technically it is. Let me ask you one last question. What's up? Mobius Digital, that's the name of the developers here? Correct. Small team. First thing that Mm -hmm. they ever did was Outer Wilds and Echoes of the Eye. They've now had Mm -hmm. less than a year since they completed their expansion. What do you hope they do next? So if I look at this team... I think a super giant and super giant never does sequels. Mm. They do something new and normally it's good. So as much as I love this, I think they should tackle something new. I was going to say as far as would I be happy with an outer wilds too, or any sort of sequel? Yeah. Hell yeah. 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 But my most anticipated video game in the world right now is literally whatever they want to do next. Complete faith. <laughs> Complete yeah. faith. So, wait, so good. wait, more than Kingdom Hearts 4? My second most anticipated video game. <laughs> more than Final <laughs> Fantasy 7 Remake 2? My third most anticipated video <laughs> game. <laughs> Listen, I'm a sucker for JRPG anime bullshit. You know how it goes. But That's all that fair. being said, you can hear me ramble on about that type of shit on Game List proper. Game List is our yeah. little uh, podcast that we do monthly. It's not a huge commitment. However, when you get to that episode, it's going to be girthy. Longer than what you're hearing here. Um, We do that once a month. Beginning of every month, we look back at the month in news and game releases, things we've been playing. Real casual conversation, similar to this. A little bit shorter on each subject. We want to dig in on something specific here on Spoilist, but on Gameless proper. Plenty going on. We also look at the month ahead as far as what we're looking forward to and uh, what's on its way. So really, really fun show. Plenty of places to find myself and Colin elsewhere, though. I am Jake Twitchin, like twitching, but without the G, uh, on everything. Stream a bunch on Twitch, 9 o'clock Eastern time-ish, most nights. Um, on Twitter, I don't use it that much. Instagram, I use that even less. But you know, I'm there if you want to find me. Most importantly, though, YouTube, Twitch. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, you uh, you can find me on YouTube, Twitch, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, 
just look up uh, K-A-U-L-I-N-E underscore. And if you don't find it with an underscore, just take it out. Because some places there <laughs> are an underscore, some places there aren't. Look at how good your pitches are getting. Much, much better. I know. I know, right? Uh, best thing that you can do for us is if you like this, just press one of those funky buttons. Just go find us somewhere else. Like, if you find this episode go follow colin on twitch or if yeah. you listen to this in a podcast feed go find the youtube version of it and hit a thumbs up if you are watching us on twitch then go find us in a podcast feed and leave us a five-star review we're just trying to grow here have a good time hopefully you enjoyed this what else am i forgetting for pitches smash that like button and hit the bell Shh. Uh, i'm sorry i had good. to i had to that's an outro if i've ever heard one Yep. Cut it. Bye, guys. Bye.